north. Completely fine. Oh, get in the car. Okay. Let's get in. I'll jump in when you guys are ready. This is the damage, the damage path right now. Houses are completely leveled. Leveled, it doesn't even, it's unrecognizable. Leveled, houses are leveled. This doesn't even look like it was ever a development. No, it's not. Raw video of the tornado that hit Moore, Oklahoma on Monday of this past week. A devastating storm. The Winds of over 200 miles an hour, EF5, the highest, strongest category of tornado. And the devastation that happened, billions of dollars in damaging. And damage is even more sobering is the, the reality that 24 people lost their lives. Nine of them children, seven in one of the elementary schools. It's amazing to see the destructive force that can happen there. <clears throat> We've seen our share of storms lately, haven't we? Just four days before that, on Thursday of the preceding week, the North Texas area here was hit with 16 different tornadoes in that day. Uh, one tore through Granbury, another Cleburne, another in Ennis wreaking havoc, raining destruction down, taking lives, injuring people. Some people have, have been left with, with absolutely nothing. Of course, there have been other kinds of storms too. Just a few weeks ago, I'm, I'm real thankful for what we're doing uh, to help the victims of the fire and explosion that happened in West. If you haven't brought something, I think they're going to take something tomorrow down there. There's boxes in the foyer you can contribute to, to help the people there. But that, that explosion that took so many lives, destroyed so many places, just totally upheaved people's lives. Or two days before that, the explosion in Boston at the marathon, and the lives lost, the lives forever changed. All kinds of storms. And, you know, do you ever just want to say, okay, enough? Enough, just give us a break. Let us have a, some rest here. But then you don't have to have been in a tornado or an explosion to know what it's like to have a storm in your life. Because we have all kinds of different storms that we encounter from time to time. 
there are financial storms. Our, our spending kind of got away from us. And then we had this mountain of debt, which wasn't impossible until we got laid off. And then it's like, how are you going to do this? Or there's there are health storms. Your spouse has been ill for some time, and then you get the diagnosis of a malignancy for you. And you're thinking, okay, who's going to take care of who now? Or there are, there are personal storms. Yeah, marriage has never really been smooth. There's always been those rough periods. But lately it seems like it's just kind of turned into a battleground. And to make matters worse, the person that you had that relationship with that really could provide you some, some uh, steadiness, a rock, that relationship's gone away. What are you going to do? Or maybe it wasn't a series of things. Maybe it was just losing a, a beloved spouse or a precious child. Or that parent that was your rock. And sometimes you feel like the walls of your world are crashing down around you. Some EF5 category emotional tornado has just ripped the roof off of your life. What do we do when that happens? Now, maybe you're thinking, well, boy, that's not me. Things are going really good right now. I mean, things are great. Look, if everything is blue skies and rainbows and sunshine, then give thanks to God for his blessing. But understand that there's no guarantee that's going to be the way it is always. Like Galen says, to paraphrase him, we're, most of us are either in a storm or we're coming out of a storm or we're about to go into a storm. How do, we, how do we deal with those? How do we survive the storms of life? Well, I think maybe there's a message for us in Acts 27. If you've got your Bibles, I hope you'll turn there. Uh, we're concluding today that series that we've been in, looking at, at Acts, at what God did through them and how he's doing it through us today, that unstoppable power that God has for our lives. And we, we see in Acts 27, Paul, at, toward the end of his life, is, is in a, an incredible storm, storm like he had never, never seen before. And I think it has some clues for us about how we deal with the storms in our lives. Starts after we saw last couple of weeks that Paul had been imprisoned there in Rome. Uh, hadn't done anything wrong, really. He was just telling people about the, the incredible call of God on his life, how God called him to, to a mission of telling people outside of Christ about about the difference that Jesus could make in their lives, about telling the non-Jewish people that. And when, when the, the Jewish people there in Jerusalem heard him say that, they just kind of blew it. They lost it. And the riot started. So Paul was the guy that was arrested. And in, and in the course of it, he 
tells his story. He shares how God had been at work in his life. Well, they didn't have our system of jurisprudence then. There was no, there was no such thing as habeas corpus. You know, you could, you get imprisoned, you could stay there for a long time. And Paul was in prison a long time. Paul was in prison literally for years, just waiting to be heard. Now he was, he was heard repeatedly. He just didn't get anywhere with it. He was heard first by the governor Felix and then by the governor Festus and finally by King Agrippa who said, this guy's not done anything wrong. At one time, they they suggested that he go back to Jerusalem to stand trial and he realized that was essentially the equivalent of a death sentence. And he said, okay, I appeal to Caesar. As a Roman citizen, he had that right and they had to honor it. So he is sent on his way to Rome for his appeal to Caesar. He and some other prisoners are given to this centurion named Julius and he, he's making his way there. They put him on a ship there in Caesarea where he had been imprisoned and they, they begin to make their way. I think we've got a map here. They begin to make their way up the, the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea. They stop at Sidon and then they, they hang close to the coast because if you get too far out in the sea, it, it's more treacherous, especially back in those days. They land at this place up in what is now southern Turkey called Myra. And there he is changed from that first ship to a second ship. This is one from Alexandria that appeared to be carrying grain, which is significant because the the grain ships, the Alexandrian grain ships were very large and cumbersome and, and difficult to navigate, especially in rough seas. But they set out from there and they're going to go to Italy, going to go to Rome. But the winds are against them. And instead of going up to the, to the west or the northwest, they, they kind of have to come south and they wind up down at Crete. And they, they pull into a port that's called Fair Haven, which was a joke because it was anything but a fair haven. Nobody wanted to spend any, any more time there than they had to. Uh, in fact, they're there for a little while and the, the people in charge of the, of the ship, the crew, they say, look, we know we can't make it all the way to Italy. You know, we can't get you to Rome, but at least we don't want to stay here. There's just a short distance around to the end of the island of Crete was a nice place called Phoenix. They said, we're going to go around to there. Now, Paul tries to warn them that's not a good thing to do. I mean, you think, well, why is this, why is this rabbi, this itinerant preacher, going to try to tell sailors how to do their job. Well, you got to understand, Paul was a veteran of a lot of trips on the Mediterranean Sea by this time. He was a, a card-carrying member of the Mediterranean Sailing, frequent, frequent Sailing Club or whatever they had back then. He knew something about it. He knew this was not a good idea. But they wanted to go, so they're not going to listen. They go anyway. I mean, they had, they had nice, nice weather. There was a nice, gentle southern breeze. What could go wrong, right? <laughs> but things can change in a hurry when the weather is concerned, and they did. Those blue skies turned dark, and that nice, gentle southern breeze was replaced by a biting north wind. So instead of being able to wind up where they intended at the end, the western end of the island, they, they're pushed out 
into the sea. The storm, this is not just a, a little squall line with a few thunderstorms in it. This is a massive storm that, that dominated that entire area of the Mediterranean for days with hurricane force winds. The waves were pounding against the boat. The storm just pushed that boat wherever it wanted to. They were totally helpless in the face of it. They did everything they knew just to try to stay afloat. They, they wrapped ropes under the bottom of the boat to, to kind of hold the hull together and reinforce that. They lifted the sails. They lowered the sails. They raised the anchor. They, 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 they lowered the anchor. They cast the cargo off. They even got rid of the tackle for the ship. They did everything they could think of, but nothing, nothing was helping. And not only was it a devastating storm, it seemed like it was never going to end. It was day after day after day of this until, I mean, I mean they, they, they were never, never saw any sunshine during the day. They never saw stars at night. They were hopeless and helpless and lost. I can't imagine being in that kind of situation. We, years ago, we went on a cruise in the Caribbean, and it's a very, very mild body of water, not a lot of churn there. And, but one day, the wind got up, and the sea got just a little bit rough, and, and man, just for a few hours, we were struggling with that. I cannot imagine having 14 days on a little boat, not a big cruise ship that'll hold thousands of people, but a little boat in the middle of a storm like that must have been horrifying. Well, after 14 days, Paul speaks up. Paul addresses the others there. And he says, look at verse 21. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. He just couldn't resist and I told you so, could he? Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, Paul says. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Now that's a switch of roles, isn't it? This land-loving rabbi is telling the seasoned sailors, don't give up, it's going to be okay. We're going to make it out of this. Hang tough, guys. God's going to take care of us. I don't know that he convinced them. They began to give up hope. You ever been there? You ever been where it seems like you've tried anything that somebody has said, everything you can think of, nothing seems to work? Maybe you've got a financial storm going on and you call the bank to get an extension on that loan or maybe you just try to get another loan, redo it. Or you try to find some fun somewhere. You even try to go get a job so maybe you can catch up on some payments. But everywhere you turn, the answer is, no, I'm sorry. Can't go there. Or maybe you've got a health storm that's brewing. 
and you've gone to the doctor and you've, you've gotten the diagnosis, you've, you've, you've heard the treatment, you know what you're doing, you're doing, you're following all the directions meticulously, everything, and it, it's just not working. It keeps getting worse. And so you go to another doctor, but he has, can't do anything for you more than the first could do. And so you start talking to people and homeopathic remedies and different people that have been there and what they've done and what's worked and what hasn't. And, and, and maybe then you, you finally start searching the Internet, just desperately hoping to find something. Or maybe it's a relationship storm that you're in. And you've read all the books, and you've gone to counseling, you've gone to the seminars, you've, you've done the workshop stuff, you've just everything, and nothing seems to help. What do you do when the storms get so bad that your world just kind of crashes in on you, and you find yourself sitting in a pile of rubble? That happened this week in more. I don't know, this was on one of the local news stations. Watch this little clip. I was holding my dog. I was sitting on the stool holding my dog. This was the game plan all through the years, uh, you know, to go in that little bathroom. And uh, the electric never went off because the electric went off in the bathroom about the same time I felt the stool come up out of the floor and I rolled around a little bit and when it stopped I was right there that presto cooker is what I saw. You were lying there in the Uh rubble. And I never lost consciousness uh, and I hollered for my little dog and he didn't answer or didn't come so I know he's in here somewhere. But uh, it just I mean, it, it was there and it was gone. Just, uh, just no time. And uh, then it was light. And I thought, well, I'm okay. And I had some stuff on top of me. And I started wiggling. Are you able to comprehend yet what happened here? I know exactly what happened here. Exactly. And... Uh, what do you, I mean, what do you, what do you think of all this? This is your neighborhood. I can't imagine. This is life in the big city. The dog. The dog. The dog. Hi, Poppy. The dog. Oh. Oh, Pazzy. Oh, Pazzy. Bless your little bitty heart. Help me. Help me. Oh, God just answered one prayer to let me be okay. He answered both of them. Because this was my life, my second prayer. I thought God answered one prayer when he let me live, but he answered both of them because he saved her little dog. Amazing to see 
how God's at work, isn't it? In the midst of the rubble. Reminds me of something similar to that that happened a couple of years ago when the, it wasn't a storm, well, it was a, sort of a storm, the earthquake hit the island of Haiti. And there was devastation everywhere. I mean, there was just rubble everywhere you looked, everywhere you turned. For almost two weeks, they had manned the rescue operation, trying to find anyone who was still alive, anyone they could, they could help. And then they gave up. They said, look, by now, if we did find anyone, they would no longer be alive. So they shifted to the recovery operation. And after two weeks, 27 days after the earthquake hit, they were removing some boulders and some fallen walls. And they thought they heard a human voice. And they thought, no. But then they heard it again. And so quickly they went to the place and they started lifting up stones and pieces of a wall and and different debris that was there to clear it away. And they found Evan Muncy alive. And they couldn't believe it. He, he had a few injuries. He was thin and gaunt from being without food for four weeks. And he was slightly dehydrated. But they said, this is just unbelievable. How did you survive? And Evan Muncy said, a man in a white coat brought me water every day. And the people working on that and the authorities in charge said there's no way that could have happened. That's impossible. There's no way anybody could have gotten down to him underneath all that rubble. And if they could, they couldn't have done it undetected. But Evan Muncy stuck with his story and nobody else has any other explanation. I don't know what that was. A man in a white coat brought me water every day. Maybe it was the same guy that showed up on the ship in the middle of the Mediterranean in the midst of an overwhelming storm and said to Paul, well, look at verse 23. Last night an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. He lets Paul know immediately, look, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it out of this. You're going to live. You're going to survive. It's not going to be easy. In fact, you're going you're to have to go through a shipwreck before it's over, but you're going to survive. I think we can learn some things from what happened here. First of all, about the, the moment. It was, Paul said, 
last night. Have you ever noticed that it's usually in the darkness of our night that God shows up? We see him. Not necessarily physical night, but when things get real dark. Not because he's not there all the time. He's there when things are bright and sunny. I'm just not sure we see him as well. Paul says, last night. And then there's the the movement. He says, God's angel stood beside me. God's not just way up in heaven, far away, looking down. But he's right here. He's right here with us, beside us. Movie in theaters now called 42 is the title of the movie. It's about the life of Jackie Robinson, the first African-American to play Major League Baseball. Robinson was playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And he said every ballpark they went to, every stadium they played in, he would get jeered and booed and taunted. Said one day they were back in their home ballpark there in Brooklyn. And he, playing second base, he made an error on the field. And his own fans started booing him, taunting him, ridiculing him. He said he just had to stand out there on the field and be humiliated. But he said that his teammate, shortstop, Pee Wee Reese, who was a fan favorite, walked over, left his position at shortstop and walked over to Jackie Robinson and stood beside him, put his arm around him. And he said, in just a few moments, the crowd got quiet. Sometimes we just need somebody to come and stand beside us. Paul said, the angel came and stood beside me. And then there's the message. Do not be afraid. That's not a new message for anybody that's listened to Jesus. He's given that message over and over again. All throughout his ministry, he would say to people, don't be afraid. Fear not. One time in in Matthew 14, we read about a time when uh, some of his disciples were on another sea in a boat when a storm came up. They're scared to death. And then they saw Jesus coming toward them on the water and they were even more frightened, thinking he was a ghost. So as he approaches them, he says, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. That's what he's saying. That's what the angel is saying to Paul. Don't be afraid. understand that in one of the schools, one of those elementary schools that experienced the ravaging brunt of that Moor tornado, that the kids got scared to death and their teacher had gotten them into the, together into the safest part of the school, but that everything was howling and the, the windows were blowing out and the roof was going away and they were scared 
screaming. They're saying, we're going to die. We're going to die. And the teacher said, no, you're not. You're not going to die. You're going to live. What was she saying? Don't be afraid. And then she said she did something she wasn't supposed to do. She started praying out loud, real loud, so the kids could hear her over the deafening roar of the wind. Take that, AFCLU. And the children began to calm down. That was the message of the angel. Don't be afraid. You're going to survive this storm. God's going to see you through. Finally, there's the mission. You must stand trial before Caesar. See, God wasn't finished with Paul. God had something else for Paul to do. God had some of those assignments for him to keep that we read about earlier. Some of those appointments that Paul was going to keep. And so Paul wasn't going to be, wasn't in danger of perishing because God was going to keep him there. God's got a purpose for you too. I know he does because you're still here. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like Paul. Paul, he got through this storm. He went to Rome and for years he, he influenced people that would influence those in the highest places in the Roman government. Maybe God's got something like that in store for you. You're going to go to a foreign country and you're going to influence people in the highest echelons of the government there. Or maybe maybe God's purpose for you is to stay right where you are and in a quiet, gentle way to powerfully impact the people in your life and in your world right now. Or maybe... Maybe the life that God has you still here for is not someone else's, but it's your own. And he wants to shape you and grow you and transform you. I don't know. You don't either. We won't know until we look back on it. But if you're still here, I promise you, God has a purpose for your being here. Because there's not one of us that are going to be here on this earth a day less or a day longer than God intends doesn't matter what storms are out there. doesn't matter how bleak things may look. God will see you through. So what about your world? What's going on in your life? What kind of storms are brewing in your life today? Maybe you say, hey, I'm good, man. I mean, I've got nothing but blue skies and sunshine and everything's great. Then praise God and rejoice. But I know there are a number of people here right now that have storms going on in their life, all kinds of storms. Some of you, I know about your storm personally. There's some people going through some major storms that haven't uttered a word to anybody about them. But the storms are going to be there nevertheless. All kinds of storms. If you're there, you need to hear what the Lord has to say to Paul here because I believe he has the same message for you today. It's going to be okay. You're going to get through it. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be very, very hard, but you'll get through it because he'll be there with you, just like Paul did here in Acts. 
The angel told him, you know, you're going to survive, but the ship's not going to. You see, sometimes just like that, we're in a storm and God allows the storm to take away that thing that we think we can't survive without, whatever that might be. And God allows the storm sometimes to take that thing away from us because as long as we still have it, we're not depending on him the way that we need to. And when we have to let go of that, I don't know what it is, your job, your savings, your health, a relationship, a loved one, But when we lose that, we understand he is the only one we can truly depend on. When the world's at its darkest, Jesus shines the brightest. So instead of looking at the storm, look at the Savior. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much.